Hello, everybody. This is the Highlands Bunker Podcast. We're in the shadow of Rockford Tower. We're behind enemy lines, and we're with an old friend right now. Uh, Carl is remote, and on the Zoom with us is our friend from Puerto Rico, Maria Beauchamp. Hello. How are you? Hi. Hola. 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 Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I, we, we got you on the Zoom immediately because, just for fun... Uh, I went back and I was listening to a March episode we did. We released it on the 19th of March with you. And we were talking about uh, some some education issues. We were talking about the Delaware Way. Uh, I actually, I think for the first time, mentioned coronavirus because I said something about the, the COVID. Um, I said something about the call. I hadn't mentioned the Delaware call before. But then one of the big things you said at the end uh, was that you were working with some sort of network Delaware materials and philosophy with some of your comrades to start up a new party called Movimiento uh, Victoria Ciudadana, right? That's right, Movimiento Victoria Ciudadana. That's yep. right. Uh, MVC, it's the Citizens Victory Movement. And then uh, about two weeks ago uh, in the Jacobin Magazine, I see from Carl uh, sends me this link and it says, Puerto Rico is moving left. Puerto Ricans dealt a severe blow to the neoliberal two-party system in the general election this month. And I thought, we got to get Maria on the, on the horn. This is incredible. Um, do you want to, uh, well, before we jump into this, um, can you give people a little background about uh, the two-party system in, in Puerto Rico as it's been for several decades? Um, there's the popular Democratic Party and the new Progressive Party, which really were very similar to the regular the, the, to the mainland U.S., sort of two sides to the same coin. They had some cultural differences and some differences about maybe independence of the of the island. <clears throat> but other than that, it was sort of neoliberal austerity all the way through. Can you explain um, maybe more nuance about those two parties and what the system's been like uh, as they've been running it? Yeah. So the new progressive party, when, when you hear that name, you actually think like progressive. So you want to feel like, yes, this is my party. It's supposed to be alive and full of ideas to move us forward. The new progressive party in Puerto Rico for decades, all they have done, it's really tell the people in Puerto Rico, you're going to vote for me and we're going to fight for statehood and we're going to become the next state. So that's their catch. Um, but it's the well-known party for the most corruption. Um, they have completely changed our educational system. They have changed how we can respond to emergencies like hurricanes. They have completely changed our labor laws. So there's absolutely nothing progressive about what's happening with this party. Um, and then the Popular Democratic Party, that party when it was founded, um, it's the party that everyone really believed in, the people from deep in the country areas, right? Before going into the what we know as the urban area. These people really thought, hey, Luis Muñoz Marín is going to, you know, and they gave, they gave us shoes. So we have shoes to walk on and, and we're going to be able to work and our labor laws are going to favor us and everything is going to be fine. But throughout the years, it just became a system where who was going to be more corrupted, but no one was going to notice. Um, there's really not much of a difference of how they um, do work for Puerto Rico, how they work for the communities. They don't. Um, they work for themselves. They work for their friends. Um, and they make laws that favor them to make more money. So um, there's really not much of a difference between either one of them, except how they want the status of Puerto Rico to be. Yeah, so I'm going to read a little bit uh, from this Jacobin piece just to set the stage. Uh, it's called Puerto Rico is Moving Left. The author is Jorge uh, Farinacci Fernos. Uh, ha about halfway down, it says, Following the 2016 elections, several progressive forces had discussed creating a broad anti-neoliberal party that would welcome all views on the status question. 
Aside from a general repudiation of colonialism, the aim to uproot the political landscape by realigning it along a left-right axis rather than the national question. These, these conversations culminated in the formation of the Citizens' Victory Movement in 2019. A new party's urgent agenda emphasized the fight against corruption, the restoration of labor rights, and the rescue of public spaces and institutions from privatization. So yeah, um, you, you're, you're, you're doing what we talk about all the time and bringing everybody, sort of trying to bring all these groups together under a mass movement to work against... Um, basically two sides of the same coin. So it, it's incredibly exciting. Can you give us sort of a little background about how the organizing worked and some of the things you, you, you did to stand this party up uh, and get the infrastructure prepared and get the mass movement prepared to actually do something in the political environment? So I, I have to start for me in Delaware. Like it really starts for me in Delaware. It starts with Network Delaware and Eugene Young. Um, I always give credit where it's due. Um, I think Eugene Young's campaign really brought together amazing humans that can really think father of what it is like to help other people and how can we really change a system that is oppressing us and is stopping us from evolving. So when I met humans that feel the same way as I do and are very passionate about moving forward and creating a state, a nation that we could all live in, that we are not just equal, but there's equality in the sense of education, health, um, jobs, and all of that. How can we do this? And then Network Delaware was born. Um, but I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and I couldn't um, not think about, hey, at home, how can this work at home? And, and what would it look like? And then Hurricane Maria hit, and it hit really bad. And then while Hurricane Maria hit, um, I was then in Puerto Rico, I was in Delaware. And I started a, a little rescue program, uh, trying to find people and, and connect them. And, and Pam helped me do that. And people from Network Delaware were very helpful. Um, then I came home to Puerto Rico and checked out my apartment and everything that was going on. And it hit me one day and I said, hey, Drew, what, what would it look like if we started Network Delaware in Puerto Rico, right? Um, what would that be like? So um, he came on a vacation and I was like, this is my beautiful island. What can we do? Like, seriously, let's think about this. Um, and Drew has always given amazing advice, but it really meant just look more into what is happening in Puerto Rico, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and how you could put yourself into it. And maybe in the future, when Network Delaware is more mature, we could branch out. So it wasn't like, let's do something for Network Delaware in Puerto Rico. It's sort of like, let's see what's there. And in the future, we could branch out. So I started searching what was happening here and um, started just participating in with different nonprofit organizations and one of them is called Vamos Puerto Rico and, and within that organization I just started consulting um, and advising them about communications and how to reach out to the community how to do organizing very much what I had learned to do with Network Delaware and what we did with the OGN campaign so we started doing work like that one day I was invited to a, a, a secret meeting and, and that secret meeting involved a lot of people from all kinds of different organizations and walks of life. And at that moment, it was called Dialogo 2020, which is means dialogue for 2020. Um, and a brilliant minds, some from all political parties, from all different kinds of revolutions, sat down and said, it's time to start something new. Um, and I was more than honored to be asked to sit at this table and put a little seed of what I know and and bring a lot of knowledge that really comes from my years of uh, being an activist in, in Delaware um, and a lot of the political work there. Yeah, I have to say um, just two reflections on that because we're trying to do so much of this kind of organizing here to lead into the electoral process and other things. Um, but I was just talking today uh, with someone, and you see my Wapala back here. Um, the, the, the movement for socialism in Bolivia is very similar to that. It's a, it's a c combination of 
labor unions and organized like community organizations, all kinds of things. And so you ha and, and then from that kind of small groups getting together in solidarity and creating the movement from the the solidarity within and among all of these disparate groups, just like you're just like you're talking about. Um, it, it's super, super. Uh, yeah, I, I'm also reading a book about about uh, reconstruction. It's the same thing. A lot of that was was a, was some of it was a lot of was a big failure, but it's all about bringing as many different groups together uh, and then sort of agreeing on a, a common goal. But then you have that mass movement organizing behind it. So where the dialogue 2020, uh, where did that where did that go? Yeah, so Dialogue 2020 was, uh, I just, uh, at one point, if I had to describe it best, it's like, you know, when you're in history and in either middle school or high school and, and you think about Greek mythology and all that they're teaching you and you start wondering where was everyone sitting and what were they talking? It was something like that, you know, this long table full of amazing humans all have an idea of how society should be functioning and how we could um heal and just empower the people again it's not really um trying to do things different it's just give power to the amazing humans that we have here so it started to become a document of ideas and how we could work them and and then it's sort of also a process of elimination um and a huge circle then starts to become small because you start then um voting for who are the people that you want in that circle to represent you. So then the table gets a little smaller, but it doesn't exclude anyone. Um, and from that point on, um, from that big group, then I'm staying on, right? Pass on into the smaller group. And then talks with specific individuals started to happen. So, and that is when um, individuals like Manuel Natal, who is the candidate that is currently fighting for the seat um, as mayor of San Juan comes in. And then Alexandra Lugaro, who ran as our governor, also comes into the table and other political figures. So it, it was not just bringing in community members and nonprofits, labor unions, but also really good politicians or people that ran independently in the past that really want to work for Puerto Rico and move it forward. So that huge group then merges with these individuals. Um, I believe at that point we became either eight or 10 members. Um, and that's when we decided on our logo, we decided on our name, Movimiento Victoria Ciudadana, because um, when you think about the name, it's, it's really about giving the citizens the victory that, that they deserve, that for decades they've been robbed from. Um, and so that's how it sort of goes into. And in that small group, everyone had something to say. What is it that I won't compromise? to be here, what keep us here. Um, we all have different ideologies. We all think differently, but there's something that we have in common and that it's fighting for Puerto Rico, um, that is fighting for human rights, labor rights, for better health care. And then however the status is, meaning statehood, independence, or staying the way it is, we all don't agree on what we want but we all agree that it has to be worked on and that we could no longer be a colony. And that's what we need to work on first. Yeah. If you, and the other um, interesting aspect to this that uh, I think a lot of people won't understand, I don't understand it fully, but they talk about it a little in the piece is the setup of the two houses of, of the legislature are such that as a third party strategically, um, uh, you all were able to make huge inroads into the legislative branch because uh, I guess in each district there's like 11 seats. Um, but because of how many people can run from each party for each seat, um, it's like a rank order sort of a thing. So it's like, you know, five from the one party, five from the other, and then any third party, any independent party would get one. Uh, but you, you guys now, first of all, did I explain that sort of correctly? And also, can you explain how you guys made so many pickups in a lot of these seats, especially in some at large seats? Yeah. So um, we in all aspects involve um, 
people that belong to the movement. And that means your everyday citizens that participate in meeting, along with um, our president, myself, that I serve as a secretary, and you know, uh, everyone gets involved in decision making. So we actually took this to an assembly. And in an assembly, um, people had the opportunity to present what who our structure looked like when it became to the part of presenting our candidates. Are we going to have a governor? Uh, are we going to have a commission resident? And then how many senators uh, are we gonna have mayor seats and all of that, right? So different people put out a structure and then the assembly voted for it. So it wasn't, it didn't come from the top, right? The top didn't say, this is how we're gonna do it. The people picked. Now you are right. Every party has a different amount of candidates that they're going to run at large. And that, when you are the minority party, which Puerto Rico, before having the new citizen movement ourselves, they had um, the independent party. And we can't forget about them. They have been also here for years. And they're also part of that structure. Other humans don't talk about them, but they have been there for a long time. So they get to squeeze in a candidate because of that ranking system. We decided to bet for two, not one. So. At the Senate seat, we presented two large candidates, uh, Nairma Rivera-Lacen, uh, which then became our very first Black, female, lesbian senator. Um, and I'm very, very proud to say this. Um, and then also we had uh, Rafael Bernabe, who ran as governor in 2016. So they both got in. Everyone told us that we were not, all of the analysis came as we were not even gonna be able to get one person in. So we were able to get two in. And the same thing also happened for our representatives. Um, we had Mariana Nogales who ran um, in 2016 to be a commission resident for through another political party that no longer exists in Puerto Rico. Um, and then we had um, Jose Bernardo who is a young, new candidate whose father actually is the mayor in a municipality here in Puerto Rico for the new progressive party. That's how insane our party is, where we have people like, hey, son and father are in politics from two different political parties. Um, but our movement is that open because we really want to change things. So that is sort of how um, we were able to um, disrupt uh, what in in the United States we would call Capitol Hill. <laughs> um, it sort of looks the same here actually in San Juan. So, and I'm excited, I'm very excited. We haven't celebrated that as we would like because as you know, we're still counting votes. Yeah, and that was gonna be my next question is, um, you know, we had some, some drawn out sort of results in the United States for different reasons. Um, but you were having some drawn out results too and, and counting votes. What, um, what, which were the races that are sort of in dispute or in recount or still in count? And uh, how are those going? So everything is still sort of being counted. Controversy, it's um, San Juan, so our capital, which is the very important seat. San Juan is the largest municipality and is also the largest budget to manage here in Puerto Rico. Um, and Everyone knows Carmen Jolene, who was the mayor of San Juan. She became very famous after Hurricane Maria. So as of today, um, around 7.40 Puerto Rico time, um, there was a difference of 3,186 votes um, between the candidates. For us, this is a huge deal because on election night, our candidate was named the winner. But it so happened that on election day, a lot of people went to vote and the machines were having problems. There was a lot of issue, actually our candidate for governor, when she went to vote herself, the machine wasn't taking her um, paper. So our voting system is also a little different from Delaware. In Delaware, we used to just go and hit the buttons, right? In Puerto Rico, you actually have a sheet and you have to use a Sharpie and that's how you get to pick your candidates. And then you go to the machine and feed it through it. Um, that was the problem. The other problem is, and as you guys know, we're in a new era, pandemic time. So politics are being done completely differently. And through that time, what we were trying to do is um, 
get people to vote through mail. Um, there's also in Puerto Rico, even if you are incarcerated, you have the right to vote. So the people that voted that way from the um, elections commissions, people were supposed to go and pick up those votes, right? So you have to go and pick up votes from people who are sick at the hospital. You have to pick up votes from people who are incarcerated. So, and what I mean pick up, I mean literally have representative from different political parties drive and pick these votes. <laughs> um, and these votes are supposed to be in what we call maletines. So it translates to uh, luggage, so it's a box, right? And then they're supposed to be secured and a master list is supposed to come. And then let's say um, that Carl voted um, in person. Well, I need to make sure that Carl really just voted in person, that he didn't vote in person, but then he also voted through mail and any other way. And that's what we're having right now, the trouble with. Um, the, this is something that has happened for a long time. So the public opinion is manipulated. What people are saying, it's like, oh, you guys need to stop crying, accept that you lost. But this is not a game. We're not playing baseball or basketball. We're not feeling sorry because we lost a sport. Um, we're fighting for the real democracy. One of the things that the opposition does is say that we're communists or that we're socialists, and we are starting a movement to actually become Cuba or Venezuela and really put fear into the people. But people are not seeing that they've been under a false democracy that is acting as a dictatorship. And what that means is that they're hiding votes. On election day, people couldn't vote. Um, and then suddenly votes were being reported the right way. Sort of like, think of it, lights turn off. You had a candidate winning from a new political party, lights go back on, he's no longer winning. The other guy now is, but when we're counting, nothing makes sense. So um, we have taken a lot of this to court. Some things we have won, other, the Supreme, the Supreme Court had said, Hey, you know, we have to keep counting, stop asking for lists. It, you know, it has to be done the, the way that it's being done. Um, but at least we're fighting and everyone in Puerto Rico knows that we're fighting to count every vote. We have found um, situations where one person has voted three times, the same person, the same elector, so that's illegal. Um, and we have situations like that in more than one place. So how do we restore faith into our voting system? That is something that we also need to work on and we're trying, but at least our political party, which I don't even like to use that name, right? Or movement, because we really are a movement, yes. continues to um, organize the people. We continue to mobilize the people and they are going in there every single day. They're showing up to count votes, to fight and to raise the hand and say, I have something here that doesn't make sense. We need to let everyone know. So as of today, we're still carrying votes. I love it. I, lo I mean, the good, my, my first reaction always is when, when status quo sort of establishment figures uh, really get scared, when they see a mass movement, when they see very quick uh, results, um, you know, over the course of just two or four years, like there's been, uh, I think that fear is actually, uh, it's a good sign because the, the progress is being made. There's a threat. There's a real, the movement is, is a, is a legitimate threat to establishment figures. That's why you're seeing this sort of this controversy. Uh, and you know, we always, you know, seeing, um, Seeing votes suppressed, you know, seeing machines uh, not working properly in particular areas, seeing alternative ways to vote sort of not wrote the not robust. I mean, we see this, um, you know, in the 50 states, obviously not surprising. You see it in Puerto Rico either. Yeah, it's so when when people talk about our, our voting system, one of the things that that 
older generation always say it's like wow we used to have a really good system people really like their system other countries would come and say this is great um but i remember as a young girl still living in puerto rico and my family always talking about well you know there's still elections i never really understood what it meant um i never really thought that today i will be talking about it and say well you know what sometimes I, i'm arguing with other humans about why it is important to not quit and just keep fighting to count it because we we can have that double discussion we cannot tell people oh be afraid of communism and socialism and dictatorship but not allow them to exercise the full right of democracy as they claim it um another thing is i'm, I'm I still sort of hasn't fully hit us, but a lot of people call us and told me personally, you're wasting your time, Maria. You, you, you could be doing great things in other places. You could go back to Delaware or you could stay in Delaware or concentrate on your uh, health and your medical conditions. That party is not gonna go anywhere. That movement is not gonna do anything. You guys have at least 30 years. In 18 months, we became the third political force of the island in, in only 18 months. That's huge. And, and that's something that you don't do alone. That's something that you do with the power of organizing and mobilizing the people and really listening to the communities, not going to the communities and telling the communities, this is what I'm going to do for you, but going to the communities and saying, what do you, you want to do and how do you want us to help you do it and how can we empower you and give you the tools to move forward and be the puerto rico that we deserve to be um and i think that has changed our new governor only got 32.9 percent of the votes that means that you're going to govern people that don't want you people don't want you you are the governor of an island that is not going to support you and actually wants you out, just like we did last summer and we took a governor out. Um, and we have a new governor that tried to be governor last summer, right? And the Supreme Court had to remove him and now voted in with only 32% of the votes. That's a disgrace, that's, that's sad. But it's also, it's also, it's like bittersweet. It's a new chapter for politics in Puerto Rico. And I'm excited that I'm here. And I'm proud to say that part of Delaware is here too. Yeah, this is just a great, great story. And I think, again, we talk a lot about, and, and this does not go unnoticed. Again, when you have a movement that, as you very adeptly describe, that came from the bottom up, started with basically everybody at the table and as agreement was reached and people understood how we were going to bring these groups together, be, began into became and, and you know, formed into a, a cohesive movement. That is a threat. That's a that's a huge threat because not only is it a threat to power, it's it's power that came from a way that people don't understand. This is why you get the oh, this is going to be some sort of, uh, you know, communist dictatorship. This is going to be this or this is going to be that. Um, yeah, people don't understand. It makes them very uncomfortable, which is good because their their corruption and their power and their place in the capitalist extraction and exploitation of people, um, especially in a place that's run like a colony, um, you know, that is that that's that's in serious danger and people understand that and so you know I, I the the thing that must make you feel good it always makes me feel good here when we've made these gains in Delaware in a short period of time is that the people who uh, told you that it was a waste of time uh, you know they they don't say that anymore you know you don't see them you know they're 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 not your ally but they understand what the where you are in the fight for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also think that when you think about the whole picture, 2020, pandemic, coronavirus, um, and how with everything that is against you and everything that you're trying to do to change, 
including very personal attacks, and you're still able to make some changes, it feeds you. It almost makes you feel like, what? Nothing can stop me. Um, and nothing can stop us. And there, they, there are going to be obstacles. There are going to be a lot of circumstances that we're going to have to sit down, take a breather. Um, and, I, and I'm learning how to do that. All right, let me take a step back. Let me breathe and let me analyze. But it's also teaching me, um, it's, it's teaching me to, I always say it there to love. And what that means is it's loving the people who is the hardest to love. It's loving the people who, who call me names, who actually take the time to DM me hate words, um, to tell me to, to stop trying a new movement because we're going to go anywhere. Um, but I have to love them because if I don't love those people, I wouldn't be fighting so hard for them to have the right to actually insult me. I think people don't realize that, that when we create this type of movement and we fight for humans' rights, we're also fighting for their right to actually even open games, the freedom of speech, right? Um, so that makes me feel good. And it, it does also make me feel good that when we think of all the money that Puerto Rico has been robbed from uh, or deficit, right? And how we could actually make and give more and get out of this deficit. It's because of pushing through, right? But this means that it's not just in Puerto Rico that we have to push um, and that we have to organize and mobilize. It means that we have to go to DC. Um, and it means that we have to really educate other senators and representatives, but not just who is in DC. It also means that we have to talk to everyone in all the different states. So our movement actually has chapters in different states and we are organizing and mobilizing so everyone in all the different states understands what it really means to, to have a colony and why it is important for everyone not just you to have me in your podcast as you do and educate people in Delaware and everyone that hears you. What everyone in the United States and around the world needs to know our story, needs to understand it, that in 2020, about to be 2021, we still have a freaking colony uh, and that the United States is not, I mean, that's talking, I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, I know, you know, we just talked about it, that the... Uh, that issue was sort of used as the differentiation between the two sort of corporate neoliberal parties. And so your movement has really taken no position other than to say, you know, we need to recognize our colonial status and stop using like Commonwealth or whatever. We're just a colony here. And then we just have to proceed from from there. <clears throat> My question is, do you prioritize sort of deciding how to deal with that relationship or are you going to prioritize just uh, are you going to, not just but are you going to prioritize more sort of material things for the people of Puerto Rico um, you know uh, sort of taking care of services rooting out corruption those type of things or are you going to continue to look at this sort of status situation uh, as a priority the reason I ask of course is because me and people like me, uh, because we recognize the, the colonial situation, you know, we want Washington, D.C. to be a state. We want Puerto Rico to be a state and bring those representatives to, to you know, to our federal government uh, because we feel like that would, you know, be, be more of a balance for our federal government. But what I always have to stop myself and say is, you know, what do the people of Puerto Rico want? Do they want to be independent, completely independent? Do they want to be a state? Like, do they, you know, or the third thing being, do we want to deprioritize that because of this broader movement and just make sure that whatever we're doing within a system that we recognize and understand and, and just have to accept for now while we get um, better education, better health, better jobs and and environmental services. I think we've talked about before about making sure that your natural resources and 
everything do not get privatized or not extracted for for the consolidation of capital. Um, so yeah, where do you where do you fall on those priorities? What what do you expect this um, this group to be able to do in in government? What other kinds of movements are you going to work on? And where does the sort of um, status of of the island fit in that? So the status conversation always comes up, no, no matter what, right? But can't it, get it, away from it. Can't get away from it, but it's not a priority. Our priority is, all right, we're a colony. We can no longer be a colony. We don't want to. But we do need to educate. Um, and we, we have to restore our educational system. We have to restore our economy. We have to audit the debt. We have to. We have to know who did what. Where, where, where did this money go? Who authorized what? Who is stealing? Right? We have to do all of that first. We have to take care of our healthcare system. Uh, we have to give back to our university, the University of Puerto Rico. Our students shouldn't have to constantly go on strike so their education can be restored. Their credits cannot continue to go up. Um, their housing system cannot continue to be compromised. Going to University of Puerto Rico, it's not like going to UD where you could pick up a dorm and do all these other things. There's no, there's no dorms. What are you gonna do? So we have to concentrate on all of that first. Um, for me personally, as Maria Bouchard, um, why when we had this discussion in the movement and I am like, yes, let's concentrate on this first. It's because that's how you get to the people on the table when it's time to talk about our status, when they're educated, when they're fed, when they feel good, when they can really pay attention to that important issue and analyze it as a whole. Then they could say, this is what I really want. Right now, 52% of voters said they wanted statehood. So the rest of the island said we don't want, that's a, a huge divide. I mean, so we really have a lot of talking and educating to do. Why is it changing? It used to be higher. So why we continue to put that foremost for the other political parties? When people are starving, when people have no money um, and they're not receiving the education they need, politics is striving. We need people to struggle for politics to just be on their boom. Um, and that's not what the movement is for. We, we, we want to cater other things and we do want the people just to be ready to have these very tough conversations. These are very hard conversations to have. Uh, I appreciate, like you said, well, what does the people in Puerto Rico want? And that's what the United States needs to be asking. I don't appreciate it uh, personally. And I'm also speaking as Maria, not the movement. Um, and I believe the movement we have, and I, ha I have to look it up, I believe we also have made expressions about this in the past. But the, oh, it's better if anyone wants to talk about the issue, come and talk to us about it. But don't tell us what you think and what project you're going to make about an island that you don't live in. Um, that wouldn't be fair. Can you imagine um, if any senator here who said, well, now in Delaware, we feel like this is what we're going to do with uh, your labor laws. And then people in Delaware are going to have to take it. You'll be like, wait, hold on. You don't even work here. How are you, how are you going to tell us that, wait, our minimum wage is going to go lower now because you say so, but you don't even work there? So it's something like that, you know, like I, we can't, no, like let's have some serious conversation, but we need the people that work here, that live here, that have to get treated here be at that table to make those decisions. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, and, and, and again, I, I sort of get caught into that trap myself because, you know, it just seems intuitive that, oh, statehood, we got to push for statehood, but that's not necessarily so. You know, I would be interested, you know, I, I didn't know a lot about the, uh, you know, the Progressive Party and the National Party and the, and the, and the divide being some cultural stuff and the status issue. I'm interested, is there any numbers or do you have a feeling of the 48% or so that don't favor statehood, is there a, a stronger independence feeling or is there a stronger status quo sort of 
colony feeling, or is there just um, just people who are worried about their material conditions and and don't that don't even really haven't worked it in their mind? I mean, is there a feeling about as you're going out to talk to people about it, um, how to approach it? So there was a, an entire campaign I also done about this uh, vote no for statehood. Um, and this campaign gave you a lot of reasons why to vote no, um, a lot of cor corruption, right? It mostly was tied into the new progressive party that wants you to vote yes and all the reasons why they want you to vote yes. And this other campaign, it's like, well, if we vote no, we're voting against corruption and um, vote no because of what Puerto Rico can actually bring. But you're right. So the, the people that voted no, it's very divided as to why they voted no. Some of the people that voted no still want statehood, but they want a serious process. They want a serious conversation. They want Congress to say, yes, these are going to be the terms. This is how we're going to work it out. And let's start an actual process. Um, not this game of millions of dollars that go to waste for you to vote for something that Congress is like, we're not even going to look at that. Like, this is a joke. Um, but for other people, it's also been an awakening to understand, wait, hold on. So the way that our economy really works in Puerto Rico and our educational system and the talent that we do have, we actually can be independent. Hmm. So let's, let's do that. Because one of the things that Puerto Rico has always been, we've been oppressed and exploited. Um, resources are constantly coming out of here. Talent, human talent um, comes out of here and they don't celebrate it because it's like that hidden germ, right? You remove it. So then you make people feel that you need federal funding and that you need the saving of the United States because without them, you're not going to be able to do XYZ. But then you read in the newspaper about the only or first Puerto Rican doing something amazing, right? Um, that discovered something somewhere else in Japan and we're not. And that's a true story. I can't remember the name right now, but this is, you know, so those are the things that, that happen. Um, and you know, that's how government does around the world when they want to control something, how it is that they manipulate public opinion in order for people to feel that they need um, to. But also, let's say that we decided to be independent, right? Puerto Rico no longer wants to, to be part of the United States. We want to be our own place. It's not going to happen overnight. This is something that is going to take years. There's restoration. There's an entire process to it. When people hear that and start studying and learning what it actually means to, be, to become independent, they're more open to it because they understand it's a process where you actually still have a relationship with the United States. Um, it's not like you're shunned out and that's it. We're no longer even going to talk to you. So it's it's going to be something that I might I might be alive to see it, or am I not? Or am I not? Who knows? Yeah, I I just think in my mind, you know, the sort of the perverse way that people look at things, uh, and. You know, I know a little bit about the financial aspect of it, and this is true across the Caribbean. Uh, it's true in Central America and South America, where the the mechanisms of world capital interests, whether it be you know the World Bank, uh, whether it be capitalist you know venture uh, capitalist firms and and equity firms in the United States, um, you know they're able to extract from Puerto Rico. Uh, a lot because of its status um, and they're not interested this just happened in Argentina people can look it up um, you know the, the 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 capital firms in, in the United States just want to suck money out and this is why the services are generally poor why the infrastructure is poor um, so the idea of not wanting to expend you know the, the resource extraction and the value extraction just goes one way out. And uh, and that's really a, a lot of the reason that the that the p political situation is the way it is, because you either have to sort of get into that and get corrupt and then just let everybody else really suffer 
uh, people should look sort of look and see how that works because it's it's actually pretty insidious. I think you sort of alluded to it earlier about just doing an audit of the books to see who's doing what and where and where the money is going. Um, do, do, are you hopeful that even something like that, just uh, some scrutinizing of of that aspect of it so that some of the resources can be utilized for people? Um, do you think that that's something that's going to happen maybe in a shorter period of time? <laughs> Not 30 years, but maybe two or three years? I, I would love to. Um, so when Joe Biden won, right, um, <laughs> that that felt kind of like, yeah, that, I don't know. I don't know how you guys felt about that, right? But I was like, yeah, I was all emotional about that, I guess, in a way. I mean, um, I was emotional, but probably not the emotions that most people had. Yeah, I think that, I think you and I share those emotions. Then. Yeah. But one of the things that I that I felt like was like, okay, so can can I, and I mean the movement and and all the organizations that have been fighting for for what can we do now, right? Fix real quick. Go and knock on his door, and would he answer us and say, I know that when I was with. Obama, right? And we did promise and all of this. We screw it up a little bit. And I'm willing to fix it. And I'm willing to do it the right way because we're humans and we make mistakes. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering really deep in my heart if that conversation can happen. And that it's something that could be quick and now that could help us to, to see how we could move funds and, and, and have our elderly not lose their pension. And, and really not have to sacrifice the way we're sacrificing while a bunch of rich people continue to make their money. Um, so yeah, how, how would that look like? And <clears throat> for me, it's, it's also um, sort of like, it's confusing sometimes to say, well, where, where do we also concentrate the organizing when it comes to this, which we have tried both places. Um, we have a candidate here, Eva Prados, who, as of today, she's losing by 126 votes. Um, and we're also fighting her seat. But she has been forefront running for um, us to audit the debt. And she has organized here in Puerto Rico, and she has also gone to D.C. So it's, it's being able to have that balance, but it's also very hard. It's double the work. You have to organize and educate here. Um, we have to be there with the people and understand uh, the if they're going to lose their pension and how that's working and what it's that the commission wants to do and then go to DC and talk to lawyers there. So all of this is, is very tiring. And, and you have some people that are giving the all. And then when we say, hey, you know what? we need you on the streets, but we also need you there in legislation because we need to push for this. And you start losing by 126 votes because we're finding people that voted double on three. We know that, you know, they're upstairs. Yeah, they're pissed because we're like, hey, we're putting the big girl there that has been fighting this whole time to, you know, yeah. make sure that we check the books. <laughs> they don't want her to check the books. They don't want her in there. Of course not. <laughs> Um, yeah, the one thing, I mean, I can't, I don't, I wouldn't say that I'm optimistic. I wouldn't use that word. And, and I don't really believe in my heart a lot is going to happen with Joe Biden. Um, but I, I do believe that there are opportunities to get issues in front of the administration that we, we wouldn't have had before. This is probably a good example of that. People kind of forget that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, this is something sort of Obama sort of dabbled in. And so this is a, this is one of those things where you actually could leverage and get a little joy here on in this area because you have an administration that's going to be at least apt to, to take the meeting, hear it out, see if there's something that can be done where before that wouldn't have just never happened. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm glad for, I'm glad for that. Because now at least to fight now, instead of, you know, fighting for your life, you can actually fight for something, uh, whatever that could be, because the fight was never going to end one way or the other. But I would rather fight for something tangible and, and, and material than just a concept of something that's not something else. You know, so that's 
that's something to look forward to anyway. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Yes. So before we go, I, I want to um, give you a little update. Um, I'm sure it's almost ready to be published, so I can talk to you about it because it will be published before this is released, actually. But our mutual friend, uh, Erica Gutierrez, has written a very powerful essay about um, the undocum essential workers, undocumented workers in Delaware uh, during the COVID. Um, is it? Uh, oh, so it is published. Uh, so if you go to the actually, if you go to the uh, chat, there's a uh, there's a link there. But we we not only did we publish it, we published it in uh, in Spanish and Haitian Creole. So this is uh, Erica's first uh, first piece for us. And I'm just not only am I excited to publish this topic and to publish Erica's voice, but also to do this sort of spread. Um, she worked with one of our uh, one of our editors, um, Brittany Gulledge. And um, and Carl has sort of worked to lay it out in a in a cool way, um, so yeah, I'm just I'm just pretty pumped about it. Uh, I I wanted I wanted to give you a heads up because I know uh, I know we're we're mutual friends of hers. Yes, I'm 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 so excited. I I love her. I love her energy, and she is one of the amazing humans that I'm always talking about when I need to feed off and keep going. I'm down over here or struggling. Um, she's one of those humans that sends good energy and has something good to say. Um, but this is amazing. And like I said, I'm always thankful for you guys and giving us the opportunity to um, to be able to have our voice heard um, it, with our accents and all, uh, or in our good days and, and, and in our bad days. And also recognize the fact that not too many people and that's another reason why I love being here and I appreciate it um just or or differences in culture and in race and up to this day and I and I still get emotional it's hard for someone like myself to to go to places and say hey I I want to talk about it and not be looked at and say well the way you look and and down it's not what we need so we don't care about your voice or the work that you're doing <laughs> yeah we're um we're equal opportunity if you're doing the work we want to talk to you there's no question about it and frankly you know i mean you you laid it out so perfectly in talking about uh, you know the movement uh for citizens victory uh the fact of the matter is that there needs to be communication Everybody needs to be together to understand their their shared experience, their their common interests, and not like not anything else. Um, you know, as you said very eloquently, you know, people are going to dis. There's going to be things people disagree with. You know, they come from a different place. They talk a different way. They use different words. They have different hangups and 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 they have different attitudes towards this or that. But. Um, you know, for the most part, they're all workers. For the most part, they want they want a good education for themselves and for their children, and they want health care, and they want to be a place to stay, stay that's safe and an environment that's clean and a public space, and and they don't want to be exploited and 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 thrown away like they're nothing, and and so that's the most important thing. Like I I I don't, um, I I just don't care where people come from or what they sound like. I don't, I just, you know, I, to me, um, to me, the ultimate thing is to get to the point where you see somebody anywhere in the world, anywhere in Wilmington, anywhere in Delaware, and you think that person's me because we all have more in common. And so if, if as long as we can at least think that way, I think the organizing will come, will come. But if we don't think that way, it will not. It's 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 just a it's 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 a it's a game changer. It's either gonna you have to think that way to do it, or you're there's nowhere there's nowhere to go. I I think I want to take a quick opportunity to um just what you're talking about. Um, I just want people, and I I think every time I'm I'm here talking to you guys, I take an 
a short opportunity to talk about that empowerment or to someone that's listening that might feel like, yeah, but maybe what is it that I need in order to, to do something similar or, or change my community or do I need to have X amount of education or, or whatnot? Um, when I sat down in that long table and even now when I go to meetings, I'm surrounded by lawyers, um, people with master's degree, PhD, individuals that are very famous um, or president of a movement. We have an inside joke. Uh, sometimes she's, she told me, Maria, we're getting ready to put me in a museum or as the senator because of the interview she was on time. Um, just all the things that is happening. And I pinch myself, I'm like, wait, hold on. I'm, that's my, that's what I'm working with every day. Like, how did I get here? When I'm just Maria Bouchon, like that's it, right? Um, and and sometimes you you don't think about that, like oh wait, hold on, I can do it. So you can do it. You just have to be passionate and let your passion guide you to your purpose and do it. And regardless of all the obstacles and the people that are going to the naysayers. And the people that are constantly going to tell you you're not going to make it, talk to the ones that tell you yes and will support you, even if it's just with the worst long distance or nearby, and you will make it. And, and you will be one day sitting at that seat with history-making humans. Um, we are all making history every day. And I think sometimes people feel that they either have to have a million followers on Instagram, right, on social media to be famous or make history, or that they constantly have to be on TV. And that it's far from the truth. You make history every time you wake up, you go out there and you do something. Absolutely. Again, I think that that is the absolute thing because I think, I think fame or, you know, personal accomplishment credentials like i'm uh you know i have a master's degree i'm phd i did this i did that like <sighs> that's an ego thing that's like what you are and it can be helpful it can be harmful but really it's not going to the, the ego yourself your individual self is not going to be the thing that's going to get you to look at uh, you know a farmer in puerto rico or, uh, you know, a salesperson, a student in Yemen, or a child in anywhere, like whatever, it's, it's not going to get you to think about the commonality that we all have. If, if you're in, if, if you're worried about like your credentials, or how you should you be here, how you sound, all of that is, uh, is actually unnecessary. <laughs> you know, it, we have to stay you know, if, if we can stay together and convince people that together, you know, maybe you won't be famous, um, but, you know, you'll have public space and good education and good health care and the environment's going to be nice and you're going to be secure in your home uh, in, into into retirement. And and that, I think, is something we all can share, you know, and, and that's how you that's that, that's how you do it. You're doing it. You're doing it right now in, in Puerto Rico. It's fantastic. Well, yes, and it feels good. <laughs> I know. That's what I tell people. When you do it right, it actually, you're not mad. I know I come across as, as a crazy person, but actually when you do it, you feel pretty good about yourself. Yes. People, yeah. tell, people tell me all the time, yeah, why you look so serious? Or, but it's, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited. But we constantly have to think, right? And, and we're constantly having to, I, I don't know, our, our minds as organizers are constantly wondering about random things. I'm, Carl, I, I have to say, I, I enjoy your tweets all the time. And um, sometimes when actually I, I want to really have my mind go somewhere, I go and read you both of you guys' tweets and say, okay, well, let me have my mind go a little bit farther than, than what it is right now. Carl's, um, been known, Carl's been known on Twitter to blow people's minds. So yeah, like literally, Carl, you are doing Well, everyone, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Maria, 
It's been so wonderful to have you back in here. Um, I, I tell everybody, but especially folks who have been here before, who I know personally, it's hard to have to do our conversations this way. Um, I, I know for you, you're, you're, you're out, uh, you're home doing field work that's more important than, than catching COVID in the house here. But uh, I definitely want to have you guys back in the studio as, as soon as possible uh, to get all together once we get through this. Um, but thanks so much for um, taking the time telling us all uh, the great work that you're doing and and where it's going. Um, I hope to speak to you again very soon. Thank you, guys. Maybe next time you guys come to Puerto Rico and I'll give you guys a tour. That is not, that's actually a pretty good idea. We'll take this show on the road. We've taken it on the road, but not that far on the road. Well, let's, hey, Carl, think about it. Let's take that on the road. There's a lot of people to talk to. We may do it. My, my Spanish is atrocious, but I have to, I have to brush up. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Um, you know where to reach us. Left is best. <laughs>